Welcome to Creative Block. We're your hosts, Gene. And V. We interview people in the animation industry about their life, work, and hobbies while we do the jam. I can talk. <laughs> we, uh, we asked people on Twitter if they had specific topics they wanted us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. And today with us, we have Anthony Holden. Hi, everybody. Yay. Thanks for having me. Um, so, Anthony, I met you through internet like a really long time ago, back in the Tumblr days. Yeah, before the mass exodus. I know, right? <laughs> I, I was reading your comics and I was like, wow, this guy is so good. And I was like a fan. And then later, like, we actually really recently ended up working on the same show over at Sony. Yeah. So let's ask you a bunch of questions uh, and you're gonna have to talk a lot <laughs> like a lot <laughs> so tell us about the moment when you first kind of realized that you wanted to do art as a career and the moment when you were like oh animation is gonna be the thing that I'm gonna do so if I were to boil it down to like single moment I guess like the funny thing for me is like I think like most people that I've worked with uh, oh, we're supposed to be drawing while we talk. <laughs> yeah, but it's okay if you don't draw as much. <laughs> so, no, you're okay. Uh, so like most people that I've worked with, I feel like have been in this place where they're like, oh yeah, you know, like from the time I was a child, like I definitely knew that I wanted to do animation. <laughs> yeah. That and like, especially like friends of mine that work in the industry who, uh, who grew up in California, I've heard a lot of that. And I grew up in North Carolina. So like, you know, I love cartoons, but the idea of doing it as a career was like, completely foreign to me. And so the, I guess the short version is when I was in school, I was studying Japanese. I was a Japanese language major. Ooh. Oh, wow. Uh, and I went to Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. And I was on campus one day and I picked up like the on-campus magazine uh, and they had a feature on BYU's animation program. And I was like, there's an animation program? Oh, we're all robots, you guys. Okay, I got That's right. <laughs> Uh, so I was, I was reading this magazine and I was like, animation program and like, you can major in animation. Like I didn't know that that was a thing right, that you right. could do. That was new to me. Uh, so it was like, at that point I decided to research it and uh, I took an intro to animation class and it was the first time in my life. I, I mean, I had drawn and doodled a lot as a kid, but I had never beyond like a flip book in like a school assignment. I had never like done actual animation and like made drawings move and come to life. And like, I took that one intro class and was like, this is amazing. You know, this is like, I, I want to do this. And I didn't know, like if I had chops, like I didn't know how right. competitive things were, but like, I knew I wanted to try. It is funny how you kind of have to be told that it's okay. You can do this. Like, I feel like everyone had to go through that at some point. Yeah. Like I was waiting for some permission, right? Like, yeah. Well, you know, it's like, I think historically it's considered like this, the starving artist. Like there's a, there's a <laughs> stigma about it. And uh, a lot of parents probably are like afraid of letting their kids actually get into it. And so it's like, it's not until you know that it's even an option that you kind of let yourself follow that path. Right. Yeah. Like I never would have, I mean, as much as I enjoyed drawing on my homework, like I right. never ever would have been like, you know, I'm going to do this for a living. Like I, yeah. it just it would, never would have occurred to me. That's so interesting. Would you say like, how old would you say you were when you took that intro to animation class? 26, 25. Oh, cool. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you were studying Japanese all the way until that point, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. And Man. okay, maybe I'm going to jump around a little bit, but at that time, did you already go to Japan or not yet? Yes. Yes. So like when, um, I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's no secret that I'm a very religious person. Uh, and mm -hmm. I had served <laughs> a mission for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. So, and like, I think, you know, it's a common sight. Like you think of like the Book of Mormon musical, right? Like the white shirt, the tie, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, um, the black name tag. Like I, I literally did that. I think if I remember, it's all true. Like the, <laughs> Yeah, and in the musical, don't they, they like go to Africa, right? Yeah, they do, yeah. <laughs> um, so like, I didn't do that, but I went to Japan. I was in rural Japan in Hokkaido, in, like up in the mm -hmm. north. Yeah, I've been there, yeah. Uh, and that is where like I, yeah, fell in love with Japan, Japanese culture. And like, I mean, like I was a weeb before that. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then like actually getting to live there was, yeah, was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a dream. Uh, and so that's when I came back and was like, and decided that I wanted to try. Essentially what happened is when I was, um, when I was leaving Japan, so the way that it's structured for, for missionaries that serve for the church, there's like all these young people in their twenties. And then they usually have like an older adult couple that kind of like provides guidance and like, you know, helps those kids sort of know what to do and like gives assignments and stuff like that. Uh, and so I interviewed with, uh, they call him a mission president. And so I interviewed with my mission president before leaving. And he was like, well, Elder Holden, because that was my name then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's like, well, Elder Holden, you know, what do you think you want to do with your life? And I told him that I wanted to to do newspaper comic strips. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, that's cool. So you already kind of knew you wanted to do art a little bit. Well, like that was the dream, right? He was like, what, what do you think you want to do with your life? And, uh, you know, I kind of was like, well, I mean, like, if I'm being totally honest, like I, like I wanted to be Bill Watterson, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to do Calvin and Hobbes and I wanted to make like a high fidelity, cool comic strip. And that was, and he like looked at me dead in the eye and goes, that's not a thing. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, but, and so, and like, at first I was kind of mad at him. Yeah. Uh, I was like, you can't like, you can't do that to me. Like you're shooting down my hopes and dreams and stuff like that. But like, this was in 2004 when like newspapers were in serious decline. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so like his comment was really kind of prescient where like, I mean, the idea of like being a newspaper comic strip artist is like, that's, that really isn't a thing anymore. Right. Right. Yeah, totally. So hard. Well, it's like web comics. That's probably the closest thing. Right. Yeah. But you know, um, and even that is like a really dubious, yeah. I mean, like if you got in at the ground level, well, you know, if you're like a Scott Kurtz or if you're, you know, the Penny Arcade dudes, like or Homestuck, uh, you can make that work. But, you know, the idea of drawing a comic strip like The Far Side or like it wasn't going to happen. That was not a reality that was going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. So he, he shot me down, which I'm like, I'm glad that he did because then it forced me into this place where I was like, well, what else am I good at? Right. Like, mm -hmm. what, do I have other skills? <laughs> <laughs> I can perfectly speak Japanese, but is that even a skill? <laughs> and so like, I mean, after living in the country for two years, uh, and, and because it was, I think, a more rural location in Japan, I feel like I got the chance to, to maybe like practice Japanese a little better than maybe somebody who, who had like the out to use English with people. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I definitely did not have that option. And so, yeah, that was like when I, I was like, man, what else am I good at? Like, I don't know if I have other skills. 
And I was like, well, I mean, I really, really, truly loved learning Japanese. Like the experience that I had learning Japanese was awesome. Mm -hmm. And learning about the culture and like doing all that stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I could definitely, like I could go to school for that, right? Like, Mm. because, and so like my goal at that point was to become a teacher. I wanted to go, I wanted to go to school and like, you know, teach Japanese like at the collegiate level. Mm -hmm. So that was the track that I was on when I discovered that article that like put me in an animation space that's so cool cool that is so cool yeah so like your experience because like i've visited a couple times i mean v lived there for what a year right mm-hmm. i was there for two years yeah you were there for two years v was there for a year I, i've been there for a total of like four weeks and like <laughs> i well a i'm very jealous because i would love to live there for even a year or even a month really like i just but like do you kind of settle into a groove and like were there moments where see you're fluent in japanese which probably helps but the idea of living there kind of terrifies me because it's like how do you solve basic things but i assume even if you know japanese it's probably there's still probably moments okay so but here like the thing is like i didn't know i mean i knew as much japanese as anybody that watched a lot of anime as a teenager okay okay Got it. So it's funny because like, so the way that it works um, is that there's a missionary training center in Provo, Utah, which is actually like, it's in the same town that that BYU is. Mm -hmm. Uh And so like I had gone to the mission training center and they teach you basic Japanese as much as they can for about 12 weeks. Oh, that's cool. So like I got there and there were like a bunch of these kids that were like, yeah, like I studied Japanese in high school for four years. So like, you know, no offense, but like I'm I'm way good at this or whatever. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. I, I know all the katakana and all the hiragana or whatever. Oh man. And you're like, whoa, you did all that. But it's like literally by day two or three, like everyone was in the same space. They're like, okay, cool. Like <laughs> you know, the four years of studying that I so like I had 12 weeks of basic language training where they taught us like like a few cultural things and then like basic grammatical structure. And then like the awesome thing about being a missionary is that it, your literal job is talking to people, right? Oh, great. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so like it's like my, my whole job was to go there and be like, hi, like, have you ever heard about Jesus? And in like a a non-Christian nation, like Japan, like people are like, no, I like, I don't know anything about Jesus. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. Like, (laughs) yeah, you don't know anything. Like we have so much to talk about. And the really one dimensional way of doing that is being like, hi, I I am a robot here to teach you only about one thing. And if you try to go off topic, like I'm going to steer the conversation back to, you know, scriptures. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Right, right. Yeah. But like the human way of doing that is being like so like so who are you what are you into what's going on in your life right now and like you know when you're talking to teenagers or when you're talking to like grandparents that had like some people I admit had like lived through world war ii and stuff like that and like oh wow you talk to people that are in college you talk to people who are into music who are into art people who work like a boring desk job you talk to all kinds of people about all kinds of stuff and like I guess like I was forced into becoming conversant because I'd be having conversations with people and they were constantly saying words that I didn't know right right (laughs) and so I'd be like I don't know what that is and then they'd explain it to me I'd be like oh that's like this and they're like yeah yeah exactly so I, I, you know, I'd be learning new vocabulary all the time. And do you, did you make friends that you're still in contact with now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I have some unanswered emails sitting in my inbox from friends right now that I have been ignoring for a couple of days. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know how that feels, except you must be like way better at Japanese than I am. I mean, I know for a fact that you are. Okay, this is awesome right here. This is like, 
muscular boo-boo oh sure i was going for yogi boo-boo <laughs> boo-boo uh, okay so i'm working on jellystone and so i'm actually very well versed in hanna-barbera characters right now okay it's funny that somebody had like given that prompt it was like draw hanna-barbera characters in anime style and i was like i've literally done that job when they hit me up for that like a few years back <laughs> right yeah yeah i know i know too much about uh, all the obscure hanna-barbera characters that exist right now that's so funny i'll forget it all in a in a month yeah that's really cool that's a crazy that's a crazy life experience like i i love that uh but like honestly like i think that sort of thing is like super good life training yeah because like how many times have you been on the job and been like i don't know how to do this right like it, it, in a professional capacity i feel like that happens to me all the time right uh, and even when it's a thing that like you think you know how to do like i know how to storyboard but like the or like i know how to design a character but the reality is that like even when you are fairly expert at something like that like you're constantly being given like new challenges and stuff that you'd never thought to try before mm -hmm. so like having that life experience where it's like man i honestly don't know how to do this and but but i can figure it out yeah it's like i don't know it was right that kind of like resilience or um kind of like thinking outside the box for sure it was formative in more ways than one yeah yeah we had a guest uh, recently who went to new zealand on a whim for two months and like came out of it seemingly just like a happier much more fulfilled person and so i think like i think it's really important to to i mean right now obviously we're all stuck at home but hopefully eventually we'll be out of this and i think it's really important for like everybody to like try to go live elsewhere and like do things and not just stay like in their hometown yeah man like do stuff that makes you uncomfortable like that's yeah. part of what makes art interesting right is like having experiences that you're yeah that you haven't had before yeah yeah, yeah absolutely i think that's great too that like to get that experience as soon as possible like i feel like it's it's always kind of like a little bit maybe harder like later when when you're more set in a routine or like say in or one is set in one's ways uh i definitely felt also like uh when i was er like in my early 20s like okay i gotta backpack and like leave with like like no money no nothing right. and just like go up on a train and like visit europe or whatever yeah. <laughs> that yeah, kind of stuff sure. But let's bring it back to you and school and intro to animation. So yeah. how was, um, how, how long did you study animation? And so what was the college uh, name again? Uh, so it's Brigham Young University. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's in Provo, Utah, which is like a little bit south of Salt Lake City, like maybe an hour south of Salt Lake City. It's, it's like truly in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and uh, in their program, did they have like, a, how, like what was the program like? And how, how was your experience in, in college, like meeting other people that were doing animation with the teachers and all that? Um, so like the the cool thing to me was like so BYU had like a little bit of a history of like they had won several awards at that point in time and like the big thing that they were doing that was kind of different from Cal Arts especially uh, was the idea of doing group films where instead of like doing your own individual project like their the way that the program was set up was that like each each graduating class would have a pitch party where every every student would come and like pitch their idea for a film. Oh, that's cool. And then, and then they would vote on it. And like the one that, you know, got the most votes that like the most people were excited about, like you'd nominate somebody to be the director and like you'd all work on a film together. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that like, you know, they, they win so many awards is because they submit to festivals and as like a student production, but like they're really highly produced. Oh, nice. Because they're made by like, you know, 
teams of like 20 to 40 students. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it's like a mini production. Like a- Exactly. And so like, and the cool thing, too, is because they're like at this point, there are so many BYU alum that have gone on to other studios like there are, the school has relationships with a bunch of studios. And so like oh, yeah. as a student. Um, they would send in folks from Pixar and from DreamWorks and from Sony that would like come in and like, you know, they would look at your story reel or they would like talk to your people who are trying to like learn effects and they would, yeah, that kind of stuff. And that kind of mentoring I thought was really cool. So that was to me, one of the major pluses. One of the drawbacks was that it's a highly technical program. Mm. Um, And so like, I didn't know this, like when, when the program was sold to me, they were like, Hey, you know, we have like this really high placement rate, you know, like upwards of 90% of our graduates end up getting careers in the field. And I'm like, man, that's like a really good percentage. And I'm a person who at that point in time was like married and expecting a child. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, as a, as a college student, I was like, I need to be able to get a job when I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and so like hearing that was like really uh, galvanizing for me. I was like, man, yeah, I want to I want to be able to get work when I graduate. And so I, I entered the program and then found out like a lot of the work that people were getting were like TD positions, right? Like uh, rigging, right. shading, lighting, texturing, and stuff like that. I see. Oh, so that's what you mean by like technical? You mean the the more like uh, CGI side yes. of uh, okay? Exactly. More like and even like into like the programming type stuff. And I was like, oh, this is maybe not what I thought it was. Right. Which let's. I want to draw Jean as a witch too. Please. <laughs> Please do. But yeah, so like the, to me, the interesting thing was because the program was so young, I sort of was able to like come to professors and be like, hey, like I see what you're trying to do here. And like, and I respect that, but I don't want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) You're a little rebel. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. And not in like a rude way, but like, I guess, yeah, like I came to the and like, they were pretty open to that. Cause like I had ideas and I was like, Hey, like, this is, I think what I, what I want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they, and I'd be like, Hey, this is like, this is the class. And like, these are the requirements, but like, instead of doing your assignment, what if I did this? Right. And they would be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. That's cool. Right. Like you can, you can do that. And that's funny. I did the same thing when I went there. It was, it was very, it was all, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, was, I was just thinking about that too. Like it's you, very familiar. Yeah. But like, it's like, I don't know, like to me, and this is the thing that I say to students all the time, whenever I like go visit yeah. colleges and and give this talk is like, like your education is yours, man. Like, don't let right. somebody yeah. tell you what to do, right? Yeah, you're yeah. paying for it. You should be able to kind of to a degree, like decide what your curriculum is, like what you're studying, you know? Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know, I believe in that type of and, and I was lucky that I had professors that were like reasonable enough with me. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. That they were like, yeah, sure, that's fine. Like you can, you can do that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. I felt very lucky to have had that type of experience and got to, in a lot of ways, be like, what if I made a comic instead of doing your assignment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like, what if instead of participating in your group film, I made my own bad 2D animated short? <laughs> yeah. And they were okay with that which i thought was pretty cool that is cool yeah it's but it takes a certain confidence to be able to even like push for that and oh like, man yeah i was so foolish it's so funny for like it, it's in a certain way i was like glad to have like the uh, big fish small pond experience because like i don't know if i would have had the guts to try that 
somewhere else. Like if I had been in a place like Cal Arts, like, I think I would have been too intimidated to try anything wild like that. Absolutely. I think about that a lot. Yeah. It's like, I feel like I went, again, I went through a similar path and it's like, I feel like I, I had the right dose of validation at the right sort of tempo. Cause otherwise, yeah, if I had, cause I thought about applying to Cal Arts and it just was too expensive and too far away and everything. And, but yeah, man, it seems like, I feel like I, I didn't just... even know it was a thing until I was almost graduated. They were like, oh, by the way, there's also this other <laughs> school. I'm like, what? No way. <laughs> oh man, that would have been, been great. That's so funny. No, it was like, it wasn't even a, an option. And, and it was, and so like, <laughs> I think about what my life would have been, but I might've just burnt out. I might've just been too like, oh, I'm never going to make it. Okay. I had the same experience with Goblin too, where like, I didn't know that was a thing until I was like, maybe a senior. And then I was like, oh, look at all these crazy monsters and like their wild French animation. Like I've never seen anything like that. And these people are, and then they were like, yeah, there's a limit. Like, you know, they don't want old people applying to their school. I was like, what is the age limit? And I think it's like 28, right? Oh, um, it's, it, I mean, back when I, back when I applied, the age limit was 25. Yes. Yeah, so like I was already well past that. I was like, <laughs> cool. So I'm old by their standards. God, that <laughs> sucks. I didn't know that. That's insane. It's really, I don't know. I don't know exactly. It's kind of a, I mean, I think they've changed it now because now I'm going to try to keep this short, but Goblin used to be uh, almost public school. It was, it was half private. Uh, and, and then recently it got entirely uh, privatized. I think the government, the French government is kind of starting to drop a couple of schools here and there because they're like, uh. okay, well, there's, you know, politics uh, anyway. <laughs> um, so I think now they're kind of opening the school more and they actually have an international section now because at the time when I was, um, uh, when I was in Goblin, it was like, you had to speak French because all of the teachers, or at least most of them didn't really speak English. English that well or couldn't mm. well there was that but uh but but the age limit of 25 I think is because uh I don't know I think it's probably they want young flexible people who are ready to learn they don't want to try and teach old dogs new tricks I think there's definitely a part of that yes and also yeah that makes sense I think there's also probably like the idea that like if like if you're I don't know. Like it's it's hard. Yeah. Anyway, I don't really. There. I think there's probably an, an like an elitist belief behind mm -hmm. that as well. So, but I guess now like they're kind of shedding that too. But yeah. yeah that, that's crazy. That's good, man. Because like I don't know. I think it's important to have like like capital A art animation. Like I think that's an important thing that exists. But yeah, man. Like we're making cartoons. Like you can't get too high and mighty, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly 100 percent. yeah i feel like especially because uh, that was something that we talked in a podcast before but because i feel like like we're we're craftsmen as like animators or like uh as part of a team i feel like we're closer to uh, a, a craftsman than to a an artist with like an, a capital a mm, yeah totally. like in and i think yeah in that regard it's like good to stay humble <laughs> For sure. The age limit thing is weird to me because like, it just adds to this notion that like, if you haven't landed a job by a certain age, then like you haven't made it or like, you're never going to make it. Oh man. I feel like that conversation pops up on Twitter so much. Like, yeah, it's exhausting. Yep. It's like, Hey, I'm 30 and I still haven't gotten my job. I'm like, dude, I got my first job when I was almost 30. So like, don't feel bad. Uh <laughs> Yeah, it's and I'm I'm going through that right now. Like I'm just I'm feeling like I'm in my 30s now, and I just keep feeling the pressure of the ticking clock and like being like, oh no, I haven't gotten to where I want to be. But it's like that's nobody put the like that's all in my head. That's all in everybody's head. Mm -hmm. and, For sure. 
it's the yeah why why have i done so many jobs but like i've never gotten to direct a such and such or like why yeah. how come i'm not an art director why am i not a production designer yet why have i not been tapped yeah. for some kind of supervisory role why <laughs> exactly what i'm going through right now <laughs> It's really, I was just telling V about it. I've been around the block. I have credits, right? <laughs> yes. You definitely, I mean, I, out of anybody, I feel like you should. And so it's it's both disheartening, but also kind of validating to know that you're going through the same sort of thing. Uh, like, and honestly, like, I mean, if we're, if we're being totally frank, like, I mean, it's because I can tell you exactly why it's because of the decisions that I've like consciously made with my career. Like, right. <laughs> so I, my first like out of school studio job was at DreamWorks mm -hmm. and I ended up, I started, this is a very cute Hobbs from memory. I, I'm <laughs> amazed that I remembered how to draw Hobbs and Calvin. For uh, yeah, I'm going to murder Hobbs too. Let me see if I, oh, you should be an expert. Right? <laughs> we're all gonna, we're all gonna try this. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bother trying to do it in, in uh, Watterson's sexual style. But oh, so like I, so like I started at DreamWorks, right? Yeah. And ended up like uh, the, the cohort that I started in was with Matt Brawley, uh, who's yeah. the creator of Amphibia. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, and like, I got there on my first day of work and I was like, I am almost a decade older than this dude. And he is drawing circles around me. Like, mm -hmm. why, what am I doing here? I was like, immediately had imposter syndrome. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. This kid who had like, you know, he went, graduated high school, went to like a year or two of Cal arts and was like, immediately recognizes the genius that he is and like got this job. And I was like, I am a 30 year old man who fell into cartoons on accident like what am I doing in the same room as this guy <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it took me a while to to come to terms with the idea that like the experiences that I had had and the life that I had lived which was like very different than his right where like I had you know lived abroad I had served as a Christian missionary in a non-Christian nation I had you know like I grew up in in this the American South and like, you know, I, I'd gotten married. I had two children, right? Like yeah, you're living your life. All those experiences that I was like, man, like I feel like such a loser that like I took so long to get started in this career path. But then like after thinking on that for a while, I was like, wait a minute, like these are these are assets. Like yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm a different person who has like lived a different life. This is so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what's going on there, V? Can we talk about that? You're so mean. It's just his paw. I can't believe you did this. No, no, no. That's I. I have done nothing. I just like I love like his long legs. It's so like he looks like he'd be six feet tall. Yeah. No, yeah, that's not what I'm saying. Because like the to me the the key design element of Calvin and Hobbes is that Hobbes has like this long tiger the, torso yeah. with like, these little legs. Oh, right? The tiniest right. legs. Yeah, I I don't I. Dude, I do not remember these characters. <laughs> oh man, and this is this is like a Walt Kelly like pogo pose here that I put. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. So good. I love it. I love that. Like, dude, you're like you have a photographic memory, or you've read a bunch of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely. My son was definitely just reading them this afternoon. <laughs> I just got the collection, like the, uh, you know, the big like library edition. Cause I yes. realized- Did you I, find the hardback ones? They don't exist anymore. I found, I didn't want the hardback. I want, cause I, the soft cover one is broken up into four books and I wanted something that's easier to actually read than like this giant heavy- Yeah, so I've got the hardcover ones on my shelf and they're beautiful. But like every time yeah. my son is like, can I read Calvin and Hobbes? I think to myself, I should just buy the floppies <laughs> so that he doesn't ruin them. <laughs> 
Yeah, you have, to, you have to like give him like plastic gloves and like a mask, and you're like, use these tongs. Yeah, I'm like, you may read this, but you may not eat snacks while you do. Right? That's so <laughs> yeah. funny. We had comics like that in uh, at home too. Like when I was a kid, like there was some comics that were like, no, you can't, you can't read those. They're too precious. I'm like, okay, right. <laughs> but I, but I'm. A- yeah uh, a grown kid it's like no you're you're yeah. seven we don't trust you <laughs> comics need to be loved they need to be broken in and you know wrinkled i think that like there are books that i read and reread and they're like they're a little like bone is really kind of a little bit messed up for me but like it means that i've been reading it yeah you know? it's been loved yeah man and like if there's something that's worth studying that like jeff oh, yeah. smith's cartooning that dude is master class yep yep yeah. yep yeah, I reread that recently. I've been rereading a lot of stuff. This actually will segue nicely into um, the next sort of categories. I reread. Oh man, I've been rereading Dragon Ball lately. Yeah, I was gonna say. Oh, I was just, I was, I was wondering if you were done with your story of your first job. I kind of wanted to to keep kind of like listen to you and your your career really fast, and before we open to the next section. Yeah, we'll come back. Oh yeah. And I also wanted to ask you, like, when do you think you started your Tumblr? Like, were you? Uh, in school when you started kind of being active on Tumblr? Because I, rem- I remember like seeing your Tumblr posts. I was in Japan, it was probably 2015. Okay. And I was like, whoa, he's so famous and so good. And this guy like <laughs> can do everything. Cause you animated too at the time, like your comics were animated and mm-hmm. you also posted like gifts of animation and all that stuff, so. Yes, I found that I've not had as much time to do that lately because animation, like I love animating so much, but it's just like so time intensive. Oh yeah, 100%. Um, I sort of I sort of semi-animated the Kickstarter video that, it, that I'm launching tomorrow. Woo-hoo. Very excited. It's animated on like threes and fours or like, you <laughs> yeah. know, sometimes even worse than that in places. The anime style. But it's some of the like, I was like, oh man, I miss doing this. I wish that I did more of this. But yeah, so like the, I, I spent two years at DreamWorks and it was at a time when, oh, to answer your Tumblr question, I, when I started at DreamWorks, everybody was still on Blogger. Oh, r- really? Wow. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> was, yeah. So everybody was on Google's Blogger and mm-hmm. then, and then that's like Tumblr came up in like 2011 or 2012, maybe. Right. Yeah. That sounds right. right. I want to say. And so like around that time, it was like the first time that somebody had like, basically somebody had explained to me the genius of social media, right? Which is like with Blogger, it's like, you could put something up but like unless somebody big and famous like like drawn and quarterly up in Canada like Mm -hmm. (laughs) like unless they had discovered you and decided that like they were going to pass you on nobody would find your URL right right yeah right but with a platform like Tumblr it's like you post something and if somebody else you know if somebody else likes Naruto for example yeah yeah. (laughs) I love Naruto. <laughs> oh, we're going to get into our anime and manga talk. Yeah, yeah. And, and if like if somebody likes the thing that you did, then like they they reblog you. Yeah. And then it's like everybody that follows that account sees the reblog and if they like it, they reblog and it spreads everywhere. I was like that is genius. Yeah. That's genius. That's way better than, you know, Google's Blogger which like was Yeah. <laughs> It was like the the proto internet, right? Or the proto social media movie. Yeah, they were figuring it out as they went. Yeah, it was the kind of thing where like, you know, uh, if you there was an artist that you liked, then like you would link all your artist friends in like the sidebar of your page, right? Right, yes. Yeah. And like that was cool, but it was like hard to get exposure. Yeah, I think young artists that are coming up now with all these, with, with like program to care about followers and reblogs and all this stuff, like. Oh man, yeah, in a certain way, I think that's so hard for them. It's yeah. so hard. I see. 
I see like young artists that are really talented and they'll like leave Twitter for a few days and they come back and they have this guilt and they're like, guys, I'm so sorry. I haven't been tweeting for like a few days. Like my grandma died. And it's like, why do you even feel the need to apologize? Like, that's fine. Yeah, dude, go live your life. <laughs> it's so crazy because they're just there. They've been they've grown up with it. Like the Zoomers have like, grown up with it and they're just forced to care about follower count. And man, let me tell you, like, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Nope, it super doesn't matter. But yeah, so like that, like I did DreamWorks for two years. And the awesome thing about it was it was at the time when Katzenberg had announced their plan that they were going to do uh, three features every year. Ooh, yeah, I remember that time. Interesting. Okay. Which is insane. It's insane. Mm -hmm. And like the the first experience that I had there, so I wasn't I didn't work on Megamind, but Megamind was being released like mm. soon after I had just started there. Right. Um, and I just remember like talking to the crew who were like they were talking about the release date and like this and like and and I had overheard some people talking. And they were like, yeah, like it's still not final mix is still not done yet. And I was like, dude, it's like your movie comes out in like a week. Oh, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> what do you mean final mix isn't done yet or whatever? And it's like like hearing stuff like that, and then like the various experiences that I had while while working there where I was like I think I had like this sort of uh, rose-colored glasses idea about like how movies were made uh and then like after after working for like literally about a less than a year or so I was like nobody knows how to make a movie yeah none yeah. of us know what we're doing <laughs> like I remember sitting around in a story room where I was like I know a lot of these people that are that are you know like uh, animation famous people mm -hmm. yeah uh, like not famous to the larger public but like that you know had like worked on like really high budget and well-known products I'm like man and I remember looking around in a room and one time being like collectively we have like almost 100 years of experience in this room <laughs> and we still don't know how to make a movie <laughs> I love that <laughs> yeah but like to me I don't know that's awesome because it's like if if the formula is I've made a movie before, right? Like I know how to do this, and like you just make the movie that you already know how to make. Like that's boring as heck, right? Like you come up with really awful stuff. Right. But yeah, when when you enter that space, being like, uh, have I made a movie before? Sure. Do I know how to make this story? I do not because I've never tried that before. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but so like the cool thing about being at DreamWorks at that time is that the story department had bloated to like there were more than eighty storyboard artists there. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, which is like a massive crew. And it's like for me, where it was like my first professional experience, like I didn't I didn't know that that was massive. I was like, man, these studios sure have a lot of artists. But like that was... <laughs> yeah, right. It was particularly large at that time. And the cool thing for, for a young buck like me was I met so many people in the two years that I was there. And then ended up being like, my son had terrible asthma and I was having kind of a rough time living in Los Angeles where I was like, we had two kids and I was like, and my wife doesn't work. She's a stay at home mom. So she, mm -hmm. she was not like earning money outside of the house. Mm -hmm. It's not fair to say she doesn't work. She does the hardest job. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she's very busy. But yeah, she, she's not like, you know, we're a single income family and I was work, you know, I was, I was making like intern wages, right? Cause it was my first job. Right. And we had two kids and we were living in LA and I just remember being like, I like, I can't make this work. I don't know how to, yeah. how to do this. Uh, and so we moved to, to Leica. I had a friend, uh, Shane Prigmore, introduced me to some folks at Leica and we moved to Oregon. Uh, and then after working at Leica, which was miserable, uh, and we could talk about that another time, but um, <laughs> I, I decided 
you know, not to continue with them, but we liked the Pacific Northwest so much. And I was like, man, like, I don't, I don't want to go back to LA if you don't have to. And so I tried freelancing and somehow by the grace of God, things have worked out for us here. That's yeah. I'm always impressed by the fact that you've managed to maintain, I mean, it's the strength of your work. That's why, but it's still very impressive that you've managed to maintain a prolific animation career, like remotely. Like, I think that's something that we're all going to start kind of facing after well during and probably after quarantine is it's just like we don't have to be in LA right like the city kind of sucks and like we'd all rather be elsewhere and so you're you're a shining example right like it's awesome it's awesome if you're I just remember thinking all the time like this city would be so rad if I were a single dude who was like 22 right (laughs) but even then I feel like LA for me is like it's just so spread out and like the metros are basically a no-go after seven after 6 p.m so it's like uh I mean I guess there's uber but it's like i don't know i feel like it's like for for me la is is not like the symbol of the party town for me it's like if you want to party it's new york or like one of those capitals like paris (laughs) well even san francisco is like yeah yeah social life yeah but yeah i totally i totally feel you though it's like yeah uh so yeah we decided to stay up here and somehow have made that work and i think some of it has to do with like the strength of like the connections like it's that who you know thing right yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah 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 and because i met so many people who then went on to so many different places it's like i've had the opportunity to do lots of stuff with lots of different folks which has been a yeah, tremendous blessing. Totally. Yeah, that's awesome. That is so great. Yeah. V, what else did you want to ask on that? I think, uh, yeah, because so, and then like you would say like, and ever since then, yeah, you've just been like doing freelance work on, uh, on with all the studios. <laughs> yeah, with basically everyone. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. Who have you worked for? Can you say, is it really everyone or is it just like- uh, So it really is everyone except I've never done work for so Disney feature doesn't do up until pre pre COVID times right. they didn't do remote stuff huh. so like I had chatted with them a bunch of times uh, and have been invited back to LA on numerous occasions by various people to be like hey will you come do this will you come direct this will you come do such and such and I'm like honestly like that sounds awesome but whenever I would sit down and think about like. <laughs> Because we always make family decisions like that together because it affects everybody. Right. Yeah. And when we would sit down and like I would have an offer and be like, I could do, you know, I could work on this show and like it's kind of high profile and they want me to direct and like that sounds awesome. And we would do like the pro and con thing where like you sit down and you're like, here's all the pluses and like here's all the minuses. Mm -hmm. And like all of the pros would be like, this is great for Anthony's career. This is great for Anthony's Uh public facing career. This is great. Yeah. All the minuses were like, this is really bad for my family. This is really bad for this member of the family. This is really bad for, and like, it would be like, all the pluses would be like, this is great for my career. And this is terrible for my family. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) And so because of that, like the decision that I've made and like, it's been like in a certain way, it, like it's like professional suicide to be like I'm not going to take on like these additional roles and I'm not going to take on these additional responsibilities I'm just going to stay a story artist right is like not a great professional move but like I have been present for my kids lives sure exactly and like I don't like I, I can't trade that for something else right right 100% no that makes sense yeah you place your priorities where they matter and that's good right can we get into some manga talk yeah finally okay Okay. you Mm. you guys can talk can I finally (laughs) 
Inspiration time. Asking about career goals. And Sorry. Aspirations. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Well, so, but I think it all. Yeah, so, Shonen Jump. <laughs> anyway, I think it all. I think it all ties in together. But um, because I, I like, I, I'm a big fan of kind of like figuring out where people get their inspiration and what makes them excited, because I, I think that everyone. Question I want to ask you, maybe up front, even is like, was there a specific thing that you saw that really clicked for you and made and made you say like, I want to do this thing, like. It was either a moment in a series or just a show in general or a movie or something like what made you want to actually do this as a job oh man or pursue it you know so like the stuff that like really knocked my socks off when i was let's see this would have been like 1980 no it would have been like early 90s like maybe 92 or 93 um i had a friend who like this it was like my best buddy growing up um, and his parents had a like a family friend who lived in Japan or who had spent time in Japan. And he came back with like a bootleg VHS copy of, of My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, sure. yeah. um, and I had never seen anything like that in my life. And I was like, that, this is incredible. In a way that like that my, you know, 11 year old brain was not able to articulate. <laughs> this is landing somewhere between like, Totoro and and, <laughs> and like, Mokona from Magic Knight Rayer. Yeah. Pikachu. Yeah, there's a little Pikachu in there. Um, which we can talk about Magic Knight Rayer in a minute. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite manga ever. And it's not really talked about. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what that is. That was so like Totoro was a gateway for me, and it reminded me of my grandmama who had had like made some recordings on HBO. She she had given me again like a sort of a, a, a bootleg dub of like a VHS dub of uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Mm. And, and yeah, in a way that like my young brain was unable to like analyze and articulate, I was like, these look and move and feel different than the cartoons that I've seen. Right. Right, right, right. right, And like, I didn't know what it was, but like, I mean, a lot of it has to do with like the sort of like more cinematic approach. And like, you could say like, it's sort of like more of an adult flavor of cartoon. Mm -hmm. I don't mean like adult in the sense that like, it's like sex and violence, but like right. adult in the sense that like, it respects your intelligence. Mm -hmm. Totally, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, and there was something that was cool about the filmmaking of those. And like, again, as a young person, I, it's interesting to me to look back at those experiences that like, as a, as like a seven-year-old watching Tom Sawyer, as like an 11-year-old watching Totoro, like I could intuit that it was different, even if I couldn't describe to you what was different about it. And then when, when I found out, I was, you know, somebody was like, by the way, those are made in Japan. I was like, Japan. And like, and that's that, man, that blew the lid off for me. And then I discovered like Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball and like Magic Knight Ray Earth was like a huge thing for me because that was the first like that was one of the first things that like I had sought out like somehow I had heard of it and then I bought again bootleg VHS tapes because that's how you had to do anime back in the day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 totally. I bought them, yeah, like at like a comic convention uh, and was like this is like I had never seen anything like that and like Ray Earth blew my mind because it like did the it was fantasy but also sci-fi but also magical girl yes. but also like it was yeah and it was like all those things mixed into one and i was like i didn't know i didn't know you could do that right it, yeah <laughs> how did this pass me by i don't know what this i guess i gotta look Ma up. magic knight ray earth is like it's an older manga first of all so it came before cardcaptor sakura which was a much bigger uh -huh. hit for clamp than magic knight ray earth yes. was 
and and Magic Knight Rebirth has like this really like shoujo manga style. Like they have beautiful sure. eyes, beautiful hair, beautiful outfits. So really soft, soft rendering, right? Like, yeah. yeah. And I feel like those yeah. are probably I I could I know in France they were they France when they got their hands on like uh, the okay to air anime and publish manga like it was such cheap deals so it was like such good money for the editors and the tv stations that uh, it was just like boom here you go so yeah. we got all of the we got all the ips really fast but um i could see for example in in the u.s it, like i think i feel like a, a manga kind of came a different way in the U.S. and that probably Magic Knight Red Earth is, because it's more like girly, probably they didn't see as much appeal as probably Shonen Jump, I guess. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Uh, yeah, well, I think it's like a different type of appeal, right? Right. And it's like that, uh, so, and that led me into the place where I was like, oh, like, you know, comics drawn by girls or whatever. And so like, I got into like Takashi Rumiko. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rama Nibun no Ichi. Uh, Ranma one half and like Maison Ikkoku and stuff like that, that I was like, yeah, it, and it's interesting to look because she was even writing for like shoujo publications, but had, or she was writing for shonen publications. Like she was writing manga for boys, but had, she's a woman, right? So she had this different perspective and I was like, this is rad. Yeah, yeah, her stuff is great. So yeah, she, that, that led me down another rabbit hole. And I mean, yeah, I've, I've never come up from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, there's definitely, I can see that influence in, in what you do. And I, I mean, and we, like we, some of that stuff, like you just, you really never, ever escape. Like, honestly, the first, the first comics comics that I bought with my very own money was Jim Davis's Garfield. Yes. Yeah. Um, and like people love to crap on Garfield, but like, Jim Davis is a solid cartoonist, right? Oh my like, gosh, Anthony, I'm so glad you're saying that because in the episode that where Gene interviews me, I talked about Jim Davis and Gene made fun of me. So I'm glad we're oh, on the yes, same. <laughs> but like the thing about Jim is like his, like you look at the solutions that he's come up with and like to the modern eye, they look really like sort of boring and mainstream, but like he pioneered a lot of that, that like that look. Yeah. Uh, and the cartoons are super solid. Like they're not maybe really adventurous. It's not like, it's not like, uh, it's not like uh, Kureo and Shinchan, mm -hmm. right? Like Shinchan mm -hmm. is, like, is like weird and cool and exotic looking to a, to a Western audience, right? Yeah. And like Jim Davis is like kind of, you know, it's like the vanilla ice cream of cartoons. He's like, his work is so appealing yeah it's so appealing and like it, and it's funny to me because like so i cut my teeth speaking of this was the what, thing that i was scared of as a kid and i'm still scared yes. of as an adult is the tooth crumbling to dust dream <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh, no. that's um, horrific but uh do you not have that dream have you never had that dream no. My dream is I lose my teeth, but they don't crumble into dust. I, they just fall out of my mouth. Or sometimes I can feel them being loose and I like pull them out and I'm like, oh no, those are my adult teeth. And then I'm just, yeah, and I'm like, I have never mind. I'll just get like um, dentures. <laughs> yeah, I hate my teeth. They, I can lose them. <laughs> so like the, so the Jim Davis's Garfield and like Charles Shell's Peanuts and stuff like that, that like, I, that, that, those were the first cartoons that I ever really loved. And like, honestly, like I've never, I'll, I never have and I don't think I ever will and I've gotten to a place where I think it's maybe good that I never escape those influences like that stuff will always be with me absolutely yeah kind of like yeah man when I first discovered like Toriyama and I was like 
man, Dragon Ball, like, this is the stuff. Like, yes. and I copied so many drawings of Goku, and, like, there are still some shortcuts where I'm, like, I stole that from Toriyama, and, like, I'm not oh, ashamed absolutely. of that anymore. <laughs> oh, 100%. Like, it's so nice to, to look at his drawings. It's, like, they never get old. They never get old. They never get old. I don't know what <laughs> it is. Again, is a solid cartoonist. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i'm like that's what i'm here for and that's kind of that's it's one of the reasons i landed on storyboarding so i was like oh that's the job where you still get to draw in this era of like cg animation right mm-hmm. like the job where you still get to do drawings is storyboards yes <laughs> totally yeah i um yeah i reread through dragon ball recently and it's like i've i've gotten more in touch with the stuff that i liked as a kid because i think when you're now that like i'm an adult I, it has a different sort of feel to it and it's more about like I'm trying to tap into what I liked about those things and reassess them like I rewatched reboot recently just because I was like yes why did I like reboot and I watched it and I was like oh because it's actually a well-written show at a certain like past a certain point it's rocky in the beginning but Uh um, it's great like it has a lot of depth there's like there's all these themes of like post-traumatic stress disorder and like growing up like it's it's a real really good show and Dragon Ball is one of those where I've come to appreciate the original run of Dragon Ball so much more than Z because I feel like Toriyama is like at his peak there like it's just it's a mix of comedy and action and it's like clever it's not just like power Dude, levels the, the first the first as he's transitioning out of of dragon ball and into dragon yeah. ball z and yeah. it's still fun and funny um yeah that's peak toriyama right there yeah and also like and it's it's funny because like the iterations that made it to the screen like uh and there's definitely like the sort of like du- dude who drives a nissan that has like spinning rims and like tinted <laughs> windows and like and has yeah. a tattoo of goku on his arm like i feel like there's that toxic masculinity yeah view of dragon ball but like honestly toriyama like have you seen any of the recent dragon ball movies yeah oh yeah they're great like toriyama never stopped making jokes it's oh. all still jokes yeah <laughs> well i love those movies because they don't take themselves so seriously yeah, like they're man. funny yep and like that's that's the dragon ball i love like i could take or leave you know like the dudes that have like 15 abs or whatever like sure i could take or leave that stuff <laughs> But like, yeah, man, he's never afraid to make a joke. And I love that. I agree. He's always wanted to do uh, gag manga anyway. Like he started with uh, uh, Dr. Slump, which was... Yeah, Dr. Slump. Yeah. And that was his uh, favorite thing, I think. And then he just kind of got... (laughs) roped into the the battle manga i think he was just like please let me get out of this he wanted to quit it a lot <laughs> so have you read there's this really fascinating article by a guy named ollie barter uh-huh who interviewed uh torishima-san who was the editor oh yeah yeah he was he was toriyama's editor um back in the day and he basically do you remember the movie moneyball yeah um where is jonah hill like comes in and like teaches brad pitt like how to make a winning baseball team by using math oh and like so torishima basically like comes to shonen jump and was like yeah uh, i needed an editing job but like i've literally never read manga in my life oh Oh. Oh. and then he basically like moneyballs manga and goes hey you know if you really wanted to make like a hit series like these are the things that you should do and so he basically pitched to Toriyama like the idea of like his ongoing battle manga where like you constantly have like rolling battles and there's like new villains and people power up and like uh-huh. they made that stuff up man I wish I, I don't know where the link is anyway the the writer's name is Ollie Barter B-A-R-D-E-R yeah I actually found the link um, very and, interesting yeah, he interviews Torishima and it is fascinating to hear him talk about like yeah i'd never read manga before so like i read everything and it was all crap except for the stuff by adachi <laughs> <Mitsu>. <laughs> 
man <laughs> wow the shade and then he's like and so i figured like it was like a really easy space to break into because everything's garbage and if you make if you make comics like adachi makes comics which by the way adachi mitsuru is like my very favorite mangaka of all time mm-hmm. and it's interesting to me like when yeah to read that article where uh torishima like calls him out he was like everybody's crap except this guy and i'm like yeah that's totally true yeah. <laughs> yeah. um but he goes because his comics are easy to read uh, and if you look at a lot of comics from that era like late 70s to early 80s like a lot of them frankly like regardless of whether the premise is is interesting like a lot of them are not very easy to read like they don't flow well on the page yeah that's very true and so one of the things that Torishima pulled from Mitsuru and from Adachi is the He's like, dude, like, first and foremost, make your comics clear. If your comics are clear, and that's why that stuff in Dragon Ball, it reads like uh, like early One Piece, yes. right? Yes. Like, One Piece now, don't get me wrong, like, I'm so invested. I've been reading One Piece for more than 20 years. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot that can be learned. Like, sure. I, I can't stop reading One Piece now because I have to know what happens, but, like, early One Piece is so clear because he gave, there was so much space to breathe in those panels. And now he's got so many characters and so much going on, like everything is crammed in there. And and he's also at the mercy of like the anime production that like he has to stay ahead of them. Right. But yeah, like that sort of storytelling where it's like clear, easy to read panels. Sometimes in like an episode, Dragon Ball, like there would be a few blows exchanged and like that would be the whole week. They're like, well, that's the comic this week, right? Yeah. (laughs) This dude punches this dude, that guy punches that guy and tune in next week, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's just raw and minimal. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's the kind of thing where like, Gene, so I know you're a musician, right? I am. Um, And so like, and I've played music since I was a teenager also. And it's like constantly the place that, that I'm battling with both in in like visual art and in like you know maybe songwriting or singing or things like that is like you want to impress people with your skill yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i can play to this level or like i can draw to this level or you know that you want to impress people right Mm -hmm. with what you can do and so you try to overcomplicate things when in reality like man some of the very best stuff out there is the stuff that's confident in being simple yes that those are words yeah. of wisdom that yeah we should uh, imprint on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's better to make something that's like small and from the heart and honestly just finishable. Like you know, a lot of the time, like the more the bigger your project or sound or whatever you're trying to do, the bigger it gets, the harder it is to just like finish the thing. It'll never be good enough right and then nobody's seeing it so you know right and then you get in you get into your mind the the idea that like if i if i can't produce produce this thing to like the level of a ghibli film oh yeah it it's not gonna do but like honestly like (laughs) yeah make the thing you can make and like this has been for for me like career-wise like some of the most frustrating experiences that i've had are like being in development and getting into a place where like it looked like things were almost going to happen. Like I was, my show is almost going to go through. They're going to green light us. Or like, they're going to. Yeah. And and then having that drop and being like, man, I'll never get to make a cool thing. Right. Like I'll, I'll never get to make my TV show. Nobody's ever going to, but like, man, the place that I keep coming back to and, and I'm always too scared to try it, but I think I really am going to try it next year (gasps) is to just like, just buckle down and like make a comic because 
a comic. Yeah. Right. It's like it's a small scale thing that you can that I can do by myself. Yeah. I don't have to wait for somebody's permission to tell me they're gonna bankroll yep, it. Yep. Yep. And like it'll be small scale and it won't like have all the bells and whistles of like a major production, but like I'll get to tell a story that I believe in. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know you went through like development so many times. Uh, it. Do you want to uh, talk about it a little bit? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I've, uh, and I really should wrap this in just a little bit because this is family. Okay. Um, but, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've developed uh, with a variety of studios and helped out with development projects at, like, a variety of different studios. Some of them were my ideas. Some of them were other people's ideas that they asked me to jump on. And I've been, I mean, I've, I've definitely jumped on projects where I'm like, oh, this is doomed from the start. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, sure. Uh, and I've also been on projects where like it looked really good and really close. And the thing about like, for me, is like you, you have to like protect your heart, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's like, because if you get really invested in something. So like the, the most recent thing that I had passed on is I was developing Precious Rascals at Disney. Oh, oh wow. Okay, cool. Um, and was feeling really good at it. And I was like, yeah. and like, after having been burned in development so many times, I was like, man, I just don't know if I want to do this again. Mm. Uh, but I felt really strongly like I should try. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And I went back and like, I was talking to my wife about like, how I wanted to approach it. Uh, and like, I just remember like having this conversation with her where I was like, if I don't go all in on this, like I'm gonna feel I'm gonna feel bad that I didn't give it like a fair shake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I was like, because the easy way is to be like, if I don't try very hard and they and then I get rejected, then I can be like, well, of course they rejected me. I didn't even try that hard. Whatever. I can just walk away. Yeah, I get that. Um. But if I go, you know, if I jump in with both feet, then it's like, man, like I might break my legs on this, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and then break my heart. Yeah. That's the real. That's the one that doesn't heal. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, and it honestly is like the harder one to heal but yeah it's like i don't know i was just like man the only way for me to do this and feel good about the effort that i put in and like really make something that i believe in is to like believe in it with my whole heart and try my hardest um and man it's exhausting to do like it totally reminded me of my experience as a missionary where i'm like you're approaching people and being like hi this is the thing that means more to me than anything else in the world. Mm -hmm. What do you think of it? And like, it's a really vulnerable position to be in, right? To be like, uh, whether that's like, you know, for me, it's like, hey, these these are like my personal, like religious beliefs and ethical tenets that I've chosen to live my life by. Like, what do you think of that? And some people were like, you're an idiot. And you're like, man, that doesn't make me feel very good. (gasps) Yeah, wow. Yeah. And and obviously, you know, lots of people were very respectful and, and same thing. Like, you know, development, especially for a show where I was like, Precious Rascals, I'm like, these people, like, these characters are like literally based on my family. What what do you think of them? That's, it's like a really hard. vulnerable pit, yeah. place to be. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's rough. I, I would be too scared to ever do anything like that. Yeah, and like, I was for a while. I was like, I don't even know if I want to do this. But like, I felt really strongly like I should try. And so I did. Um, and it ended up not working out. And like, I was obviously heartbroken, but like, yeah, I don't know. After ha- going through that experience so many times, I was like, man, instead of being like, I have to make the next epic, like, so also sitting on my shelf and in a beautiful box set next to the Calvin and Hobbes is the is Miyazaki's uh, Nausicaa comics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, these are gorgeous. And, and it's a huge sweeping epic. Mm-hmm. And I don't have like the space of the <laughs> yeah. in my life 
to make that. Uh, if only. But but can I make a cartoon, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, I I really like that approach a lot, especially because I've been reading a lot of webtoons, and sometimes some of my favorite webtoons, there's the art is really simple, and that doesn't mean that the story yeah. is any less good. Yes, right. And it's yeah. the thing that to me is like so thrilling about the way that you draw and tell stories, B. <laughs> There, but there's like this cool like fearlessness to it where it's like yeah, and the thing that i think is cool is like sometimes you let the warts show on a drawing because like i've seen you draw and i know how you can draw and sometimes i see you put up like a drawing that is like broken and you go i'm not even going to fix this and i'm like that is gutsy yeah and like i like i think that it's so cool and it's the thing that's cool and it's one of the things that's important to remember as a story artist which is like don't let the drawings get in the way of the storytelling. I I agree with that a lot, and I don't want to keep you too long if you have to go. But I was just gonna say, like, I feel for me the only reason why I managed to get to that point was because I was so lucky to get on Thundercats, where Victor, the showrunner, mm -hmm. draws only like this, and seeing his confidence since how he could just draw and not overthink anything that was so inspiring to me. And and thanks to to seeing him do that, I started me do that. And then he saw my drawings and said, that's cool. And then I was just like, just having someone that I really admired validate the, yeah. the, the you know, the just like, just do it um, aspect of drawing. I think like that was really empowering. And I, I feel like I'm so lucky I got to meet someone like that because it, it's hard to meet someone or that will do that for an artist. You know what I'm saying? Like someone that believes yeah. in just the essence and just the passion in the drawing. So well, and it becomes it's not about the bells and whistles, right? Like it's about yeah. It's about like the um, and I think like honestly, that's one of the reasons that like I enjoy reading manga so much because it's the art is experiential. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, in a way that like Western comics are not always right. Like y yeah. Uh, especially like mainstream Western comics, like your Marvel and DC stuff. Like those artists are like incredibly talented. But like I just love the feeling of like man in a manga. Like when you feel like a dope. Like you know. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> right. Like the drawing looks dopey. Right? Exactly. Oh, I love that so much in Toriyama's work. Uh, and, then, and then like and man, when you're feeling the action, like the drawing, you know, the lines get all scratchy and like the yeah yeah. The, energy comes through and like man like i love that kind of like symbolic representationalism yes. as it, like because it it lets you like feel the comics with your guts yes yes instead of just yes. looking at them with your eyes mm -hmm. yeah uh yeah like i believe in that drawing philosophy that is yeah i like it too yeah a lot of myself included i think a lot of artists get stuck in a rut of like style and perfectionism and aesthetic and making sure everything's perfect but it really is much better to just keep things, like we said earlier, just keep things simple and like uh, easy so that you can do it longer and, you know, and more of it. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, we don't want to keep you any longer. You've already uh, said a lot of awesome stuff. Yeah. A lot of interesting things. You're a very interesting guy. You're a very talented guy. It's an honor to have you on our, on our little show. Thanks for inviting me, you guys. This has been yeah. totally fun. Yeah, this was so fun. I I mean, like, we'll see. We have so many people we want to have over on the podcast, but I would love to do another episode with you, like, way down the line, because I feel like there's so many more things that we could talk about. Yeah, let's do it. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, do you want to talk about your Kickstarter really fast? Yeah, so I'm launching it tomorrow. And then as I was, like, looking at the, the like, breakdown, where it's like, how many days do you want to let your Kickstarter run? 
and I was looking at the, the calendar and, and my wife was like, that ends on Thanksgiving. You can't have it end on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> oh, no. I was like, oh, good point. Uh, so it'll run from now until like the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, Got it. Yeah. So I'm, uh, it's been, I think the last one I did was 2016. So it's been four years since mm. I put out a new book. Um, so collecting all new Precious Rascals comic scripts into a new book and then a bunch of new sketchbook stuff into Doodle Quest 3, which is yeah third installment of the sketchbook collection. And then, you know, fun little extras, bookmarks, prints, stickers, stuff like that. So it should be a good- Very exciting. Time. That's so exciting. Oh my God. And I'm like in that space, you know how like it, that feeling, like even if you've pitched like a hundred times before like you still get nervous oh, before yeah. your pitch meeting mm -hmm. yeah so like i'm in that space right now where i was like i feel fairly confident that like this oh, you'll be fine will be funded but like yeah. on the night before launch like i'm real nervous <laughs> <laughs> i now you'll be fine and i bet that i'm gonna bet that by the time this comes out you will have already met your goal and then some that's my bet <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing um, we have to like uh we'll talk later about scheduling but like this was supposed to come out in december but maybe we want to push it early yeah oh you're good yeah i mean do what you gotta do otherwise you know like the book will still be out and available for people to get later too so whatever yeah, i got i got some of your books you guys are awesome yeah no rush on editing this <laughs> oh it's fine yeah don't yeah worry. i got some of your books on my shelf i love flipping through them i had your uh your poster with like the adventurers in my cube at nick for the whole time i was there v can can vouch yes um, Yo, yeah, so like I just opened up my closet to like look at what shipping supplies I still had and I pulled out a box and I still have a handful of those posters. Really? You didn't know the that folded I had. ones? Yeah. Yep. Those are great. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, your stuff is just has so much life and, and, and it's very inspiring and people will come by and be like, oh, Anthony Holden, right on. Just <laughs> just to toot your horn, like you're, uh, you're so a name. Wow, thanks, man. I feel oh, yeah. so warm and fuzzy right you're now. You're a name that like everyone knows and everyone is stoked to see. And so like. I feel like there's like all of the artists that I know have had that moment when they're like, oh, I hope Anthony Holden will follow me back one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're one, you're one of those people, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was a big day when you followed me back. <laughs> That's so funny. Like I was so thrilled to get to work with you. Yeah, I was so Gene, thrilled. Too. Our day has our, our day has not happened yet, where Gene and I it have been not. on the same project. But I have confidence that it will eventually. I hope I get to work on whatever show you you get to make. Yeah. That is my yeah. That is my hope. But uh, uh, yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I love. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me know when you guys want to have me back. If there's like more questions that we can get to, and we'll do it again. Yeah. Anytime. Totally. Thank you so much for thanks, being here. Anthony. <laughs> yep. Have a good uh, night, you guys. Thank you. Have a good you night. You too. Bye bye. Yeah. And that's our show. That was Anthony Holden. And uh, tune in next time. Yeah. Our next guest should be um, Louis Zong. And mm -hmm. we're super excited to have him on the show because his life story is so interesting. Just like I'm, I feel so lucky that all the guests we've had so far yeah. have great stories to tell. It's so cool. Well, <laughs> everyone, I think everyone has an awesome story to tell, and uh, it's just uh, getting people to talk about themselves is the hard part because no, I think artists don't want to talk about themselves. But uh, yeah, everyone has a unique path to to getting to where they are. Uh, but anyway, I was Jean. I'm V, and thanks a lot for tuning in. And you know what? I, you know what? We're going to do this. Like, hit that subscribe button. <laughs> hit that subscribe button. <laughs> like, comment, subscribe. <laughs> All right, that's it. I'm going to go die. I'm going to go jump off a bridge. What? Uh, <laughs>
Bye, everyone. <laughs> that was. Bye. I want to end on that. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>